This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. So my suppliers are farmers directly. I came to the realization recently um, that there is only one ingredient that goes into our beers that I don't know the person that farms it and the farm it's grown on itself. Um, every single ingredient, all the fruit, um, all of the uh, like the honey. Um, the only ingredient that I don't know uh, personally is a raw sugar that we use, an organic raw sugar that we use for um, priming. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. So, we're back. I'm sorry for the delay there. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think moving forward, it's going to have to work slightly differently. I know with the last season, I had the intention of trying to go weekly with episodes, but it's just too much. Um I love doing this. I really love doing it. But yeah, it takes a lot of time and there's been a lot going on at the brewery and with events and everything else. So so yeah, it's had to take a little bit of a backseat, but we're back and we're going to try and do another season. The aim is to do six episodes and that'll be a season and then obviously we'll move on to the next season. Uh, give myself a little bit more time to, to get these episodes done uh, and make sure that they're up to the standard that, that we want Um yeah, okay, that out of the way, it's good to be back, um, and today's episode, we sit down with Tofa Ben of Wildflower Brewing and Blendery from out in Sydney. Uh, Tofa's a super interesting character, really passionate, and very kind of specific in where his passions lie, um, and that's kind of expressed through his beer, really, which is created with some of the best ingredients that he can get his hands on, um, generally organically certified, or maybe totally organically certified, in fact. Um, and having relationships with everyone that supplies him as well is a super important factor. And yeah, it was a real honor and a treat to get to sit, uh, sit down with him uh, and go over it all. So I think I've said enough now. Let's get to it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The First Time, and this is our interview with Topher Ben. And we start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? Was there a beer that kind of began it all for you, or was there, was there a few different experiences? Uh, i definitely say the, the latter. Um, I've been around beer kind of my whole life, um, and the finding of beer as like a career and like a, a passion project turned business um, was quite uh happen chance really for me like it, it didn't I was, i'm still sort of surprised in a way that i do it um and because it wasn't it wasn't intentional it's sort of but then when i look back it makes so much sense um at least for right now it's kind of like you know when you know someone like you go to your mate's house and you see their baby photos and you see their siblings, you know exactly which one's your mate as a baby, because you can see in their baby picture, like the, the beginnings of what will be their face, right? But you can't <laughs> yeah. do that in reverse, right? You, you, you can't look at a child and know what they're gonna look like as an adult. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel that way, I think about like the brewing careers, like when I look at it now, it's like, of course, like all the pieces were there. And even with the style of beer that I make and 
the sort of um I don't know the the rants that I go on about <laughs> beer itself. Um, uh, it's all it's all always been there, um, but I wouldn't have been able to choose that. I wouldn't have known, you know, earlier on. So definitely like a, a lot of different influences. And I'm not trying to be vague, but um, I'll warn you that. Well, maybe you know from previous podcasts that uh, the trick is getting me to shut up, not to. Yeah, but tougher. That makes it like the, the the beauty of that. That they're the easiest guests. Just just start it away and and, and it's off. And um, okay, so I totally get it, and and it's really fascinating because I guess we'll dive more into your journey. But it, 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 there's a little sprinkling of astrophysics in there, which intrigued me greatly. Um, yeah. But if you were to hone in on just like one or two experiences that are really memorable for you, kind of re-engaging with with beer as uh, the possibility of it taking you somewhere w what would that be um like they were i'll go with one um well one one of them i would say was quite a memorable christmas um i was in home in dallas i think i, I hadn't finished high school yet so i probably been like 14 or 15 and my eldest sibling um bought some dogfish head I'm forgetting like the brown ale. Was it like a coffee brown ale or something? It had some, I can't even remember what beer it was. I can't remember, but um, like it was a dogfish head multi number. Um, and, you know, like you're at parties, you had a bit of crap beer around, but um, I remember drinking that at Christmas and going like, whoa, this is something really, really different. And he like, my other sibling really wanted to introduce you to like there is something else out there you know like the world of beer is quite wide um and so i remember that as like a kind of formative thing because when i ended up moving to australia at 18 you know um first like there was no fosters in australia like but the the, the, the classic beer like your 4x bitter and your vbs and your chewies um i wasn't really interested in it like when i came to australia i started drinking cooper's cooper's pale and cooper's sparkling mm -hmm. like religiously um and i still do i love both of those beers with a deep passion um uh so i've always had this kind of interest in other kind of categories of that but i'm um, coupling that you know my family my surname is is czech germanic like so from bohemia like so the um the region of well like the borders are a bit loose now but what was bohemia and um my ancestors moved to um southern texas with a huge wave of german and czech migration um and one of my ancestors neighbors founded a town called shiner in texas and uh my great-great-grandfather and mr spatzel were the were buddies and mr spatzel started this brewery which is Shinerbach. Schneiderbock beer now, which is one of the largest brands in the U.S. Like a wow, um, it's a it's a Bock beer built in um, brewed in, in it's like an American Bock they call it now. But um, mm. anyway, if you're in Texas, Texas, it's everywhere. It's this orange label with a ram on it. Um, and my great grandfather and Mr. Spatzel would do chemistry experiments during the Prohibition in my, my great grandfather's house. Is that's at least what my grandfather knew what they were doing was chemistry experiments. Um, and so we've always grown up with this, like that, that, that family lore has moved throughout our family. And, you know, my dad, um, when I was growing up, like we had a, in the nineties in Dallas, Texas, we had a kegerator in our, in our, in our, um, garage, you know, um, and dad would always have Shiner Buck beer on because we've always had this like family connection with this brewery. And so, um, 
you know, I've come across other like traces that make me think, oh, maybe there were people in my heritage, you know, this bohemian Czech way of being like quite self independent like a lot of people would talk about the culture as being quite um, self-sufficient, um, really independent people, like farming their own food, um, growing, you know, farming their own food, cooking their own, their, their own food, and, and of course making their own, their own beers. Um, that definitely runs through my blood. And so you kind of see it. So like, I think, you know, again, this other way of looking back was like, oh yeah, you know, I remember the, my first memory of beer is driving into Shiner, this town where there's this massive brewery, tiniest town, massive brewery in Texas. And um, they must've been, I don't know what they were doing, but the smell of wort in the air, like the sweet, sickly mash smell, like you get it. Um, I, I had head spins as a kid. I must've been like seven or eight. Um, and I couldn't handle it. Like I had to leave. Like I could, just couldn't wait to leave to leave town, um, <laughs> to leave to leave town, um, because it was just so. It was such a strong um, flavor, like smell. So you know, this is I don't know. I guess those are just two two instances. I mean, you mentioned I ended up I ended up studying astrophysics at university. So I did a um, degree in radio astronomy, which is like big data analysis. So that hasn't come in handy in my brewing career. Um, pretty much at all um, but um but i am you know it is it is telling that i've always i have always been interested in doing things from scratch you know my mom was a really good cook we i'm the youngest of six kids she grew the majority of the food that we ate in like a tiny veggie pot off the side of a house and she was like fastidious she's an amazing grower and a good good cook like an efficient kind of like cook i'm not saying like restaurant cook stuff but um and then baker like always would bake bread and cookies and cakes everything from scratch always from the the you know original um, raw materials like never a packet packet cookie recipe ever in my house and you know growing up in the 90s in america as well it was quite it's quite different like it's even now yeah, radical um, yeah. you know there's a lot of packet food a lot of processed food i mean you see it like i notice it more and more in the UK now, like which was more like in the States, it was definitely more like more like it. But you go to the Aldi's and the and the the big supermarket chains, like you don't even have you don't even have the workers at supermarket stocking shelves anymore, right? The 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 companies are selling their food already forward facing in boxes, and they just the the people who are stacking the shelves just replace the whole box and like pull open a a thing like a pull open the front of the cardboard box off and then everything is like facing there like it's just really indicative how far we are from food um when yeah you know even the people stacking shelves at supermarkets don't even know what's inside the packets like they don't see the raw food either um and so astronomy was very much uh, an extension of physics of like looking at you know knowledge itself or what we know mm -hmm. about the earth and going to the raw formula and going, okay, well, are these real? Is this right? Um, I don't know, you know, again, starting from scratch in, in, in science. And, um, you know, I, I also, my, my bigger connection to the UK than, than beer really was my, um, foray into bespoke shoemaking. Uh, so, so I've been, um, <laughs> I've been down, I've been down, there's, a, there's an amazing um, shoemaker called John Lobb, um, who owns who has the Royal Warrant, of course, um, in oh God, whatever part of posh part of London they're in. But um, on a previous trip to the UK, like this is quite some time ago, 
um, I went there and I was showing them, like I had an appointment and showed them the shoes that I was making. They're really impressed. And they took me down under like this basement level where they hold a huge museum of lasts. So lasts are like the wooden shoe form, the foot form that you build a mm -hmm. shoe around. And of course they have like a huge cabinet full of lasts of like the entire royal, royal family. Um, and then like uh, Fred Astaire's lasts and- and No um, way like like previous kings and queens like it's like all of these i mean it's, it's like the shape of their foot um but it's kind of a weird thing but it's really cool to think that like you know once you get your once you get your 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 last made then you could just call up john lobb and say i want a pair of shoes this way and they can make it up for you and bespoke um shoes you know ten thousand probably probably six thousand quid at this stage i reckon wow um, but 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 like you know working with flat leather, cutting it up, clicking it is what it's called when you cut out the leather, make the pattern, sew it up, and then forming that around a sole and making something which is three-dimensional from leather, which is two-dimensional. You know, I've, I've, anyway, I've had, I've had a couple of little forays into odd, um, <laughs> odd peculiarities like that. But I, well, guess, we, I don't know. I guess it's the same with the beer, you know, the start yeah. from scratch, I guess, yeah. Well, we're, we've covered quite a lot of ground already there. There's a few. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, there's so much to dive into. I love the little uh, foray into creating uh, shoes. That's a, a new one to me. Um, but it is funny that you, what you were talking about there is that, you know, wildflower from like a spectator's view, like my view, you know, it's specialist. It's something that is really a work of passion. I think when anyone kind of dives into these kind of beers and that always makes the journey into the, the you know, the person behind it really fascinating to me. Um, and it's interesting because like you said there, when you look back at your past and you're as a kid, it feels like the blueprint was set there. Just like ever our ingredients, you know, um, self kind of, reliability you know relying on your your own kind of will and knowledge to get you through and this is kind of all the stuff that I, when i was bullet bullet pointing and thinking about what i wanted to talk to you about was was this because you know you are someone that you know when we talk about ingredients and and actually you know i was listening to your interview with matt curtis and he wrote uh, an article about terroir that, that kicked off a little bit of discussion and maybe we should like dive into that because like when we talk about ingredients yeah. in beer and ingredients for you, um, you know, it probably looks very different to how I guess ourselves are like an industrial brewery thinks about it. So yeah, let's go into the terroir kind of uh, controversy and, and, and your thoughts about ingredients, the importance of and whether or not you can have a beer that really resembles um, its place. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, there's a bit. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> firstly, I, I'll say, I'll say. Firstly, like Matt is a friend, and so, like, you know, I have to. I'll put my um, I don't know, pres I don't know my presumptions, whatever the premise is out there. Um, Matt's a friend. I liked the article, and he and I've, at least in my memory, we've talked about this before. Um, this this idea of of terroir and beer. And so I wasn't surprised to see the article at all. 
I was like, oh, great. He finally wrote that article that we've been talking about. Um, and then I was so surprised at this, like, I don't know, this, like, storm in a teacup. It must have must have hit during a slow news day or something. Um, and which is like, that's that's rude to Matt. Sorry, I'm not saying that it's not thing. But, like, I don't know. I was really surprised that people got, I don't know. I, I, like, again, outsider from Australia, it seemed like people did get a bit worked up. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to admit that, or they didn't want to agree with that. Uh, they had some other preconceived notion of what they thought beer was that they wanted to hold on to that. And so it was, it was interesting, um, just like as a curio. Um, I mean, my perspective on it is, is a little bit different than Matt's, but I come to the same conclusion. Um, and uh, yeah, like the way that I look at ingredients. I mean, starting there, like we we don't make a beer. Uh, like if I want to make, I've been wanting to make a buckwheat beer for so long. Um, I love buckwheat as a as an ingredient. Um, when you toast it, it has this like amazing flavor. So we want to do the toasted buckwheat kind of beer. Um, but uh, the two farms that we work with like haven't been able to rotate buckwheat into their um, into their rotation for one reason or another, or a crop has failed two years ago of buckwheat. Um, and so I haven't been able to make a buckwheat beer. Because for four or four years we've been asking, I've been saying, oh, you know, can I, can you guys grow some buckwheat so I can make something for it from it? And they've tried, but it just it hasn't, um, it hasn't worked out, or it hasn't been able to work through the through the rotation. So when I think about our ingredients, when I think about our beers, um, the stipulations that are set for them start there, like with what's being planted in the ground. Um, and that goes down to a varietal level of barley and wheat as well. Like we do have an input with our grower about which variety of um, barley we're pretty we're pretty stuck with, but wheat particularly we're probably going to keep moving um, with wheat into more sort of different softer red wheats than what we have, um, uh, because we only work with these two mainly. Um, sorry, mainly two. Sometimes we get stuff from other people, but it's very rare, um, regenerative organic farms here in New South Wales, uh, where we're based and global markets of, of grain. And that affects brewers. Um, if you're working in macroeconomic um, uh, ingredient suppliers, our cost of grain has actually gone down the past two years because we've had good harvests and we wow. lock in the price. We lock in the price with our grower well, through the maltster, when the seed is sown, and they know what to paste on the yield. And we, we, we've also talked about working on like acreage kind of yield. So not, not paying by kilo, but by paying by hectare, um, which, which we can probably work towards um, if we're gonna be growing, if we wanna grow a crop that's like not as agroeconomic, you know, it doesn't, doesn't get as many, you know, uh, bags to the hectare, whatever, bushels to the hectare, um, we could work on a different thing, but our costs are locked in. and um, two years ago, three years ago in 2020, when we had the massive bushfires in Australia, um, that was obviously a very dry growing year and the water prices went massive. The farm that one of the farms we work with is irrigated. And so we locked in this price and the Greenwood family said, yep, we, we agree to that. But then throughout the course of the growing season, the, the, the economics changed because there was no water and they were paying mm -hmm. huge, huge amounts for the water they were getting just to get a crop out. So the crop yield was down and the cost to do that yield was higher. And so the Greenwoods came to Stu, who's the maltster, and myself and said, look, like we'll, we'll respect the price of what, what you agreed to at sowing. 
Um, but we're probably going to make a loss on it if we do that. Um, if you can, could you increase your price? You know, I think it's like 20 cents a kilo or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's less. It, was, it, was, it wasn't much. Um, and then next year we'll take that off your bill if we get if we get a, a really positive um, if we get a really positive harvest. And um, we're like, yep, no worries. So essentially, we'll they're they're loaning us. We're loaning them money from next year's harvest, and they did that. So then a year after that, 2021, good harvest. So the 2022 crop was down by you know the 15 15 cents or whatever it was. And so for us, I'm just kind of the reason I tell this story is in talking about suppliers and talking about relationship with what it raw materials are um you know for, for us it's i hit a highly personal be like entirely like very very driven by method of farming and um, but see it's microeconomic you know like our our circles of where that money goes are really small um and so what mm -hmm. does happen you know in the global market doesn't doesn't affect us um as much but i mean to the the terroir um part you know, I suppose uh, we don't make beer with um, single origin water like we do because it comes from this Sydney Water Authority, which comes mainly from a, a dam just outside of Sydney. Um, but there is a, there is a place uh, um, in California that's doing, um, gosh, it's like on Fritz, Fritz who's, who's doing like single origin water, single origin barley, single origin hops, and then proprietary yeast, which I think is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. um in their beer so in terms of like sourcing we probably leave that part out um but uh when you're brewing um well a i have a really high respect for wine and and i really love wine um and so i probably have that as a presupposition in my head that terroir is something for there um but when, when we're brewing we have four ingredients you know the water the barley the hops and, and yeast um whereas in wine there's there's one ingredient you know beer is a really interesting beverage in the world of beverages because the primary fermenter like the yeast is actually not it's not present on the source you think of cider perry wine um, so many other fermented beverages you take a single ingredient a single you know grapes you crush them and the yeast is there like it kind of gives you the full package beer is 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 a bit more um even in its most primal state it's a bit more industrial there's a bit more work mm -hmm. to do there's the malting the heating the cooling and then there's the bringing together of different ingredients and when we talk about i think when people talk about terroir and wine you know you're not only expressing a single site the soil you're expressing the year itself and then the person who's doing it um i think i think i just don't want beer to have that kind of pretension associated with it I'd love to have a different word um, yeah. for for what what we would call you know sense of place or whatever you want to do it in beer. Um, so that's a like I love just sitting down at the pub and not thinking about what you're having and just enjoying a nice pint. Um, but b like I think more to the article like we're we're bringing in four different things from four different places done in like highly industrialized ways i mean i have a friend in in tasmania um will thatchell at van diemen brewery who grows his own barley malts it for malts it on site he's propped up estate yeast and he grows hops as well um and uh he makes estate beers is, is what he calls them i mean and mm -hmm. if someone's going to talk about you know identifying a sense of place like it's him like it's all coming from just that single farm 
but the 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 processes that are like involved in getting those a raw materials ready for a beer i feel are like pretty heavy-handed and probably more impactful um than uh what happens in a in a wine i mean i mean there's a lot of industrial wine that's made that's um highly uh engineered and and um uh like heavy industry kind of associated with like i don't have this like grand idea that winemakers are just like crushing grapes with their feet and like walking away um i don't know it's just such a different brew it's just a different history i can't even remember my tweet thread now that i wrote i was uh, i can't even remember what my what my um, what my initial response was so i guess i'm trying i'm like i'm like a trying to remember what that was and b being like you know like i don't know maybe it's a completely different reason why i don't think there was yeah i, I don't think there is i don't think we should use the term Maybe that's a way a better way to put it. Like, I don't think we should use the term terroir in beer at all. Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense um, mm -hmm. for me. Um, do I think that there's something like incredible that can be expressed through beer in terms of like harvests? And do I want it to be celebrated as an agricultural product? A hundred percent. But me and nomenclature, we have difficult. We have difficult. I have difficult issues with with beer terms and wine page, yeah. craft beer, natural wine. Like what are these things anyway? anyway. Yeah. <laughs> labels. We, we do love labels of a kind. Um, so we kind of talked, I guess, a bit about how wildflower feels like a kind of natural place for you to end. Um, as in like that, that feels like, you know, going back right into your childhood and also your ancestry, this idea mm -hmm. feels like it was there. But if we go to the beginning, you know, how did Wildflower kind of take its first steps into actually becoming something? Um, maybe even like the journey, like prior to you setting up that business, you know, what what were you yeah. doing and what were you trying to, 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 to made you realize that you could bring all of these elements together into something uh, as beautiful as one of your beers? Uh, thank you. Um, I, I, we, I'm not smart enough to have engineered it. I'll tell you that. Like they, it's just there's there's things about some of our beers. Like I'm sitting here drinking a table beer. Um, like I passionately love this beer, and I think it's a great beer. Um, but I didn't set out to make this beer. Like the the ideals that we had, and then the pin that the pen that we keep ourselves in, in terms of the ingredients that we use and the way that we brew, is what has made this beer. And I'm like, I'm I'm yet to figure out how our beers are made. Like uh, genuinely, like I'm like oh, at some stage, someone's gonna figure out. I'm like, oh, that's why we get that flavor. And I'm like, I have no clue. Like, we're just we're just like you know, keeping them for a little bit. Um, but going back to the beginning, um, so I, I finished my degree, um, and uh, here in Australia, I studied here, and um, we just got recently got married, and I decided to work at a local brewery um, just around the corner from us, um, kind of as an intern job before I went and started my PhD. Uh, it was going to be cheaper for me to do my PhD as a resident than as an international student. And I gotten married. So I was like, I'll oh, just give it a year and all my visa will come through and then I'll be a permanent resident and then they'll pay me to do my PhD. Um, anyway, needless to say, I never started my PhD um, because I realized I enjoyed the beer industry uh, a lot more than um, the sort of, uh, well, academia, like a, there was a there was career progression um which just isn't at the moment in, in the academic world but um uh yeah I, so i finished the degree started working at a local brewery and was the brew is called batch and we kind of could do 
every batch was different. Like it was, it was, it ended up now they have a cocoa range and stuff, but um, I was just given free reins. And so I was allowed to brew anything like that I wanted. And that was, you know, I had done the home brewing. I have some friends in the U S who were brewers and had spent time there. I, I'd like done some internships. Um, I did some, well, anyway, I worked at this brewery for a while and then um, uh, my wife and I moved to Northern Spain um, to Santander, um, uh, right in the north, which everyone knows because of the bikes in, the, in London. Um, the bank was founded there, but um, it's this beautiful little town, uh, awful in winter, don't go in winter, but great in summer. Um, and it was a great Ryanair hub. So I flew to Brussels a lot. I went to the UK quite a bit. I worked, um, I did like a week with um, Andy at Partizan Brewing in 2000. 15 so josh who now on cyclic in barcelona is was was the brewer there um and got to know a few people um in in the english scene at that time um and did some did an internship in northern france at brasserie Thierry, um uh, where i was just just there after seeing or just before seeing you um mm -hmm. brewing a collaboration beer which was great but i was definitely throughout that formative time in 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 europe you know working as a brewer and then being in Europe and going to see breweries that were really like yeast forward, yeast focused, definitely like solidified my desire to make something that had a fingerprint of the place that it was made from in using native yeast for, mm -hmm. for fermentation or yeast forage yeast or somehow. The other thing that happened at that time was that, you know, I was married, I was making these beers. Uh, you know, we're talking IBU arms race 2013 kind of era was where I was where we were making it. And um, IBU and AB, but, yeah, mate, they were, I don't know, like, um, anyway, so, uh, and I'd bring these home and like, you know, my wife was like, I don't enjoy these. <laughs> and so it was a really, um, it was a really kind of shocking thing to be like, oh, like, um, you know, here I am kind of like making my first steps into an industry, which, you know, will be my career for a while, I guess, at some stage, of, I decided that. Um, and I wasn't being able to share that with the person that, like, that I love the most. It'd be like being a chef and making mm -hmm. a cuisine that your partner hates. Like, why would you do that? Um, and we were in America. Uh, so I'm from Texas originally. And um, one of the trips back, my wife and I went to, to Jester King um, in Austin. And we were drinking the beers there and like to my blind, uh, it, like I was such an idiot. I was so surprised that my wife really enjoyed Cezanne. Like, she's like, this is really good. I, there were some of the first beers that she really enjoyed, liked her living a little bit of acidity. And now I think about it, like beers like ours and some Cezanne beers, you know, A, they didn't, they were never gendered. They weren't meant to be brewed for a certain market, A. And, um, and the flavor characteristics of them do share commonalities with other fermented drinks that other people, like broader, broader gender groups, um, tend to be marketed to. I'm not saying there is a certain type of product for any one person. Um, but for Bernadette, um, she was, um, she really enjoyed it. And a really kind of light bulb for me, I was like, oh, so. I can make a beer that's expressive of place because, you know, I was making beers in Australia using U.S. hops, uh, imported yeast, and sometimes even imported barley. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, we're on the opposite side of the world and we're not celebrating our rich history um, in Australia. Like, I know that might sound funny to an English audience, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we have the eldest living culture uh, 
here in Australia and there's so much knowledge and there's so much diversity in in food and so much rarity in the beauty here um uh and it, yeah it just seemed like we were trying to appropriate things that were more appropriate yeah. other places and it just they were just became misappropriated you know um double ipas in australia doesn't really work like we have volumetric taxes it's kind of the same yeah. as y'all like it makes more sense to make beers in amongst the ingredients that grow well in your area uh the varieties that do at least and then uh along that, that kind of align with the taxation that you have not align with but work within that into the culture of drinking that 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 it is pre-existent, you know, um, like I know people are still really into double IPAs and, and IPAs, but like, I can't imagine how much, like, I don't know how much Sonoma is of your, of your production, but I would guess it's over 50%. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't have to, I don't know. And like, that's, you can push it uphill all you want, or you mm-hmm. can make something that people are going to want to drink because they have their own, you know, culture and heritage anyway. Um, and so with, with our beer, definitely didn't come from like, okay, what, what are, you know, let's put something in front of them that they already know. Um, but instead it was like, let's put something in front of them that's uniquely from their place. And mm-hmm. maybe they don't recognize it as beer, but it can be recognized as like a nice fermented drink. Um, and that's always been the goal. You are listening to Track Green Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Topher Ben. So the brewery started with these two ideas, one um, using uh, forage native yeast from native flowers, and that's the culture. The culture up until two years ago had a Saison strain in it, like the DuPont strain, and then two years ago we had a bit of an issue, um, so we scrapped that yeast and now um, our culture is entirely derived from native flowers, so there's no lab propagated yeast. Um, hence, hence the wildflower aspect of it. Exactly. Um, there yeah, it is. The name. <laughs> um, so yeah, four ingredients in beer. The yeast was definitely the one that was going to be the most expressive and the most limiting in terms of what we can do. You know, I can't make a lager here. I can't make yeah. a pale ale, the brewery. Um, so best to start with that as like the cornerstone of the, the dynamics of the brewery and the beers that we make. And then eventually we've been bringing on the other ingredients one by one. So we always started with, we always brewed with um, New South Wales grain entirely. Um, but in 2019, we sowed the first organic um, uh, uh, barley, um, well, barley to become malt in the country. So it wasn't an option. There was no organic mm-hmm. barley being you, malted. You yourself started that or, or just as, as a with, general... with the grower with the grower no no it was wow. like just that's amazing calls, meeting the grower and going like we want this to be a thing how big is the market need to be and so you know it's like still now like we you know i i talk to um like i sort of you know we're we're, we're not taking the total totality of the harvest but yeah. there are now other breweries in australia that can <clears throat> choose that if they want can I just uh, um, can I just, yeah. can I just ask a question on that point, which is kind of this is kind of a sidetrack, but just a fascination point for me. It's like when you speak to a grower and you say you wanted to do this, are they just like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I really want so to do awkward. that? Yeah, yeah. just like yeah, because I guess you, you know they need a market. Yeah, yeah, like you, you, it's really you, interesting because it's, like, it's the it's the birth of what they want. You know, it's growing something without huge amounts of chemicals and oh, like yeah. a monocropped kind of 
mentality. So it must, yeah. you know, as a farmer, it must really bring out the passion of, of, of what it is that they've done mm. and, and generations before them has probably done. Yeah, I mean, this was a farm, their first generation organic. I mean, the farm was already organic. Um, and I think I was kind of pushed by a friend who's a winemaker to be like, why, why aren't you using organic grain? And there's so many things about that. Like um, certification is really expensive. There's there's so many reasons to not do organic. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that. There's a lot of performative organic uh, farms, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with what they're doing in order to put that label on their products. But anyway, mm -hmm. that aside, um, yeah, this farm had been organic for a few years and he was actually looking for barley, an old heritage barley to put into his rotation because it, again, like I'm not the farmer, but Stu is, if Chris was here, Chris and Sam Greenwood who, who farm it, um, they would be able to tell you what it does for their soil, you know, in order to prep for the yeah. next crop. I, I, I should know more. I, I actually haven't been out I didn't make it out to harvest um, last year in, in November, so I'm a bit disconnected a little bit um, from them. But I speak I speak to Chris and Sam Greenwood probably at least once a month, um, yeah. like big yarn on the phone. These are the farmers, and then Stu, the maltster, I reckon once a fortnight, like we're on the phone with each other all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. But um, but you know he was he was he was, he was looking for 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 barley heritage barley. Couldn't get the seed. Um, Stu ended up having the seed because his dad was really stubborn and always grew the same barley, even when, you know, more modern barley varietals came in. Um, his dad always grew the same, the same one, the schooner, which is like a late sixties, early seventies variety. Um, his dad, Stu's dad, the maltster's dad farmed barley for the better part of 40 years. Um, and never wow. once until his son started the maltings, never once knowingly drank a beer his own barley in it like isn't that mad wow like, you don't that is crazy. grow grapes like know where their stuff goes but like and he knew that his malt was being his barley was being malted because he would always make great he would always make the mark for you know you, you grow a barley crop and you, you go to market and you've got it there in a big truck right and they're just going to test it and they test it at the truck before mm -hmm. it goes into the silos and then the depending on some of the metrics you at least in australia you make malt grade or you make feed grade and feed grade is about 40 percent, 30 percent less valuable than malt grade and so you'll be there at the weighbridge and you'll find out if your payday if your check is malt grade or if it's you're taking a 40 percent haircut this year because you didn't meet a protein mm -hmm. level you know like it's insane okay sorry i'm going like really really um I'm really off track here um, <laughs> because, oh my God, we were, we were, gosh, where was I? Um, oh yeah, sorry. I was just saying that, yeah, in 2019, we started the, um, we found them, we sowed the seed, harvested at the end of 2019, and in 2020, since then, everything's been certified organic, um, regenerative barley. Um, we have yet to be able to build that connection with a, with a hop farm um, in Australia, mm -hmm. but we have we've always used um we have for the past four years used um organic mochueca from uh, a single farm in yeah you, um, you in put New something Zealand. um you put something yeah, out was, recently I, I about um yeah yeah and you got just a it's basically a fresh bale so like the least kind of interfered with uh yeah. you know form of hop, hops hop, that hop. you could get yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they literally picked dried 
and then just crushed into a bale, like 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 wool into a bale, you know. Um, and so yeah, this year being at the farm, I was like, I just want that, like, because our our kettle, we can handle flowers, which in outside of the UK is quite rare. I'm sure you know, like most people are just using pellets. Um, uh, but the UK still has still holds on to some flower hops, which I, I think is really cool. Um, yeah, so this year we just brought across the bales. Um, and again, like it was sort of weird. Like I wasn't trying to be like hyper natural or, or whatever. Um, I just really liked it. I liked the aesthetic. I liked being at the farm and just being able to, you know, there's Colin, the grower. That's the hop coming in on the vine. I'm watching it get picked. I can see it going thing. I can't visualize the pelletation process in the same way. And then you also aren't able to there's a lot of blending that goes on in the pelletization process mm-hmm. and a lot of heating. So you, you do lose um, aroma, like you lose, you lose oils, like up to 25%, some studies say, um, in the pelletization process, even if they're glycol chilled um, pelletizers, uh, just because you're, you know, you're taking a weed whacker, or I don't know what you call them but in England, you know, the, the thing that you use on your lawn that's got the, the big yeah. wire, I don't know, the brush cutter or whatever Strimmer. you want to call it yeah you're taking a strimmer into like a really uh volatile um product and just like mincing it and then just like squeezing it out of a small tube like no one's gonna like that so um anyway we just decided to go to the flowers so, so we have yet to do that with with the hops um and then the water and so that was one of the reasons was one of the things of the brewery was like i said we this is where we started two reasons one was the ingredients sourcing entirely new south welsh and then obviously these hops, which are not New South Welsh, but again, we're working on that. It's, we're not, we're not, you can't finish, you can't start where you want to finish. So we'll see, we'll see what we get to with the hops. Um, and then the second one was making, making beers that aren't so selective in one way that even before someone sees them or is introduced to them, they are excluded from them for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, to Put that more bluntly, I suppose, for like our cellar door, um, which is what we call our tap room, because it really is a cellar. Um, from the very beginning, it's been incredibly important to the business and particularly my wife that you know it's somewhere that anyone can come and feel comfortable. Um, so it doesn't have the kind of warehouse palette aesthetic. You know, your tap room is really beautiful as well. Like I love that it's. It, it, it feels like somewhere that anyone can can be, is, is is invited to a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife was always really concerned that like our chairs need to be smooth enough that if someone's wearing uh, a dress or a skirt or a piece of clothing that that won't get torn. Um, that's a big concern. Toilets have to be like immaculate. Like the toilets are really clean in our brewery because um, you know for, I didn't know it because I'm not coming from the same background. I mean, and, and Bernadette's my wife's view is, is is only hers as well but um there's so many things that maybe i wouldn't have thought about and i wouldn't have baked in um if i was coming at it from a pale ale or or, or ipa mm-hmm. brewery um and instead i was like no no we want the space to be inviting as the beer and so i like to say that our beers give as many fucks as you do like if you don't give a fuck i want it to be just that's really such a great product. saying i love that yeah <laughs> like I, I i just wanted to meet you there you know, like I don't yeah. want you to have to be heady, heady about um, getting into it. Like it shouldn't do that. Um, but it's like, it's like I mean, it, but, but if you want to go to the to another level, or if you want, if there's more 
there's more that you're searching for, then it can do that. You know, so the complexity for us is a deductive process. I've probably said this before. Like it's by taking away these big highlights, these big overtones that we get to see a, a really complex beer. Um, so complexity is subtlety rather than additive. And, and I mean, I mean, no beer shows that as well as, as Sonoma, you know, like low alcohol, you're not working with a huge amount, but it's by like making it really fine and balanced mm-hmm. um, that it can be like really, really good. Um, so those are the, that's, that's why we started the brewery, those two reasons, uh, 45 minutes later, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely love it, Topher. And uh, I'm definitely gonna steal the, the, the as much fucks as you do line. Go when, for it. When we start, <laughs> our, our, start our brewery tour. But I think you know that's a, that's a really important fact of of beer, and but it's it's really interesting that you say that because, I mean, your beers are stories in a glass, you know, like there is so much, so many levels. I mean, you know, we've just been talking there, and we've kind of covered a bit of the malt and a bit of the hops, but there's yeah. so much more that we could uh, actually dive into. Um, if I kind of go back to the Jester King thing, it's really mm-hmm. fascinating because. They were the first people, so they poured across from us, I remember, at IMBC years and years and years ago. Yeah, ten, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. Uh, it might have even been before, before I was working for the brewery, but they were the first people to ever tell me that they didn't brew beer. He was adamant. He's like, we don't brew beer, we brew work. Like, we create work, and yeah. then the yeast does everything else. And I was like, you know, it took me a while to get my head. I was like, what, what do you mean? You know, what, mm. what do you mean by that? Um, and as you kind of said earlier, that you don't know what's coming necessarily, mm. which is kind of so exciting. Is There was a few different points I wanted to dive into because I was also like the your wife's kind of enjoying that beer. If, she, if that hadn't have happened, for instance, you know, does the the shape of wildflower wildflower totally change, or actually, where you've arrived was always the destination that you kind of yeah. were heading for? Who knows? There's probably some some other dimension where you know. <laughs> you um, get back into the physics. Yeah, I, am, uh, I, I yeah, I am also credited with making the first hazy IPA in Australia. So, who knows what could have happened? god forbid oh my god i'm so glad to go there no um no i I, maybe it was i don't know at the same time you know i'm not like i'm really happy with what i'm doing and you know i think that it's it's interesting you know i i whenever we it's an interesting project like and that's definitely where i'm at like i Chris and I, my brother-in-law and business partner. So there was my brother-in-law and his and his wife, my sister-in-law, and then me and my wife who own the brewery. It's very much a family brewery. Um, when we talk about like what, you know, there's no extra strategy for our for our business. When we talk about like what the goals are, we kind of would just like to be in business for our kids to decide to not do it. <laughs> it's like we'd like to hold it that long. So we have that kind of length at least in our head a little bit um not because we think we're going to be around that much but like that's kind of the way we, we think about the business is like this this kind of long-term thing but at the same time like i don't know if it is the end all be all of what we're going to do or what i'm interested in at least um we've just started at cheesery at the brewery um as well and i'm 
I'm getting so much joy um, and interest in making a different fermented food that actually doesn't contain alcohol. Um, yeah. because I have, I have issues. Sorry, I'm not saying, when I say I have issues with alcohol, it's not, I have abuse issues. I, I have qualms with what this thing that we make and promote does in the wider society, um, mm -hmm. when it is abused. Um, and, uh, I don't know if it is the end all be all of what I can do. You know, I don't know, potentially someday I'll come to terms with that and decide that actually it's not something that needs to be in the world. So I guess, sorry, I guess in terms of, I, I don't feel settled, you know, I yeah. don't feel that we have this, um, we have the recipe, uh, and this is like always going to work, you know, um, maybe, you know, maybe one day you'll like, I don't, I hope not. Actually, I would probably close the brewery before we made like a, an, an IPA. Um, so that's probably pretty clear. Uh, just Let's like, quote that. I'll, I'll keep yeah, that in quote marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me and Monkish, who does a great job of that. Yeah, um, I was No, I probably, no, just like this project, you know, really is like it is hyper focused on that. And maybe, maybe it was, I don't know. I don't know. Do you what think if we hadn't have gone Yeah, do you think? Sorry, I didn't mean to interject there, but we just no, 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 things no, no. Come, come and go as they. But do you think that you're led by principles, as in like beer is enacting something that you're passionate about and it gives you a way of speaking to growers, cultivating better crops uh, with regenerative kind of agriculture at the heart of it? Mm. And that, yeah, beer is that final pro product, but you talk about cheese, you could probably talk about bread, you could probably talk about you know whatever and they could lead you down the same rabbit hole it's just is it yeah. the principle of like you go go right back into your family history of being able to grow yeah. something and cook something and and have those that i guess the key word being relationship mm. no i it's it actually does all for me surround around community like i'm yeah. the youngest of six kids we grew up in a big family way with an open door policy you know we were that family that it was always easy like kids would just stay over for dinner and you just like didn't even know they were there because like what's another person that and, and 10 people at dinner like whatever one more plate too easy you know um the idea of having people together the community the hospitality mm -hmm. aspect of it i've actually always when i got into home brewing at uni i loved that it was something that i could do on my own but share broader shoemaking wasn't that like you make one pair of shoes at a time you know you can't you can't share that with um heaps of other people um and so um you know i actually don't i actually don't think of myself as a very dogmatic person um in a lot of ways like i don't i don't have like we we have these boundaries on the brewery but um but i don't i don't see them as restrictive i suppose um mm -hmm. Uh, I could use a different analogy, but they sort of are freeing in a different way because it's really exciting if we want to make a new beer like before, like we've got to go find the seed and start there. And so, and I don't find that hard. That doesn't frustrate me. That actually is like really, it's really exciting. So um, actually there's friends of mine who own a brewery here in Australia who you should definitely come out and hang out with, um, Mountain Culture. And I was hanging out with DJ on the weekend and he was like, yeah, no, I just always describe you as like 
if there's a really hard way of doing something, like you're gonna do it that way. And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Um, but I think I think in terms of what I was talking about before when we got cut off was that um, all of the things that I'm interested in generally are things that that can be shared because if there's a principle that that drives the brewery, it's so less, so much less about how we make beer, what we can't use to make beer or whatnot, or what I say, you know, is doesn't fit within our ethos. And so much more is um, uh, getting people around the table, um, you know, just having mm-hmm. something to share with water people. I, um, I think I fell into brewing. I fell in love with brewing as a home brewer because it was something that I could do on my own and attempt to perfect, you know, trying to clone beers, you know, those initial things that you do as a home brewer, trying to make something really precise. Um, but I, so I could do that. I could be all nerdy on my own, but then I'd have a product that was able to be shared with, with, with mates. And so it was something that, you know, they didn't have to know the work that went into it, but you can still enjoy it. And beer really is this, um, it's a really special product um, to make. You know, I have friends that, that have um, that have bakeries and restaurants and and you know now we have a cheesery. There's something about beer that is so alluring, and you can have a conversation mm-hmm. around it and about it. I well, not about it, around it. Um, and so for me, it's been an awesome product to make and to be a part of the industry because we can have these conversations about farming around it. You know, we can pair really interesting food with it you know we have it like I was mentioning the food that we have at the brewery um you know when someone's going through a rough patch like a mate you don't you don't often call them and say do you want to go grab a glass of wine like Mm -hmm. like you're always like mate like see that you're struggling let's go have a beer um and there's so many things about masculinity and and uh and like society alone that there's, there is as much as I have in slight issue with the with the alcohol aspect of the of the product that we make. You know, um, I have another friend that it's really important that it is like this like mild inebriant as well, and it does break down some barriers to allow us to kind of have conversations that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in terms of a principle or in terms of what we do as a brewery going forward or or other other products. Um, or like you know other businesses like we have supposed with the cheese um i think they're always for me going to be something that um is really focused on the raw materials like and the farming and the yeah. agriculture celebrating that agriculture but at the end of the day making a staple um that is like a staple product um mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be lauded you know um i love this idea i mean the reason that table beer is called it is be- is because of I mean, obviously it's kind of a style, but more so in the idea of a table wine or a table loaf, like an everyday value, everyday quality product. Um, Those are the things that I love because I want to always be going to my fridge and grabbing, you know, a carton of milk from a dairy that I know and drinking that. I mean, it's a highly privileged um, thing to even be able to make those choices. Um, but I, my goal would be like, make that, uh, not something that has to be privileged. Like why I don't really want price point to follow that. You know, our table beers are pretty, really, really affordable, um, here in Australia. And I really like staple 
products to be well farmed, um, well sourced, I suppose, and delicious and well priced. Um, because like, I don't know, there's enough things that people have to spend their money and time on. So let's make it easy to make a good choice, I suppose. I don't know. That's the principle really more than the beer itself. Well, it's it's funny that you say that because I'm I'm wearing my Beak T-shirt today, and it's actually the place I think we probably first met each other. And you know, yeah, you know, I had the conversation with Danny about how they set up and and what it is to him, and their kind of slogan that they got. You know, he he says they got a bit of shit for is life affirming ales, and you know, his wife is uh, half Italian, and he says, you know, it might sound stupid, but like say that to an Italian person that like food is not life affirming or like wine is not like it's like bringing people together around the table and enjoying something and whether you talk about the product or whether you just talk together being part of that equation is you know what what drives him and obviously drives you and and drives me as well you know like that community aspect and relationship aspect and yeah, there is something really interesting, but like, like you say, that you say, go for a beer. Like, do you want to go for a beer? And and it can be positive, or or you know, someone's having a hard time, or someone's having, a, you know, you just meeting for a yeah, friend. Great time. Yeah. With yeah. a friend. It's yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it holds those two things. Um, you know, there's a few. There's well, there's loads of stuff that I kind of want to keep asking you, but one of them which I Definitely. thought was amazing. Uh, was in the pellicle article which is that you sprayed yep. your whole brewery with uh with your work yes. to inoculate the whole place so it, it was, felt it like was, that it was it just was beer literally yeah yeah it was, so it was beer, beer rather was, than just the yeast yeah. but yeah so just that it felt in every crevice of of every part of that place yeah i don't know yeah i think i i mean just thoughts on that like i wonder if i would do it now i'm not sure um you know i got that that's a total ripoff, you know, when um when Kention bought their new uh warehouse for aging um more lambic. Oh god, I can't remember what year it was, it was quite some time ago now. Um they did that, you know, they sprayed the walls. And I could give you a bit of juju, I suppose, but there's also a bit of I don't know, you don't we don't know a lot about a lot of these things. And I have I am, you know, continually and I mean you can see this with with the brewery that we built um i'm really fascinated with the ways of old um and i i not because mm -hmm. i have my head in the sand you know we have a pump uh at the brew house which is like pretty nice um we're not full gravity you know i'm not stoking a wood fire we have a steam kettle electric steam which is kind of cool um but um um i always wonder about some of the modern things that we bring about like what we lose when we do that and so like in terms of all brewing practices as well like our mash tun has a straw bed filter through the bottom of it um rather than a false bottom and it's the same it's the wheat straw and we get like a small we get a character from that which is in the beer which you cannot replicate i mean it's a fully mm -hmm. functional thing like that is our filter system um rather than a false bottom um, but there was something lost, you know, when we moved to, you know, if we did have a stainless steel, there's something lost. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's a part of our beer now. Um, and it wasn't a few years ago when we didn't mm -hmm. have a brew house. And I feel the same way, I suppose, about spraying the walls. I'm like, I don't know if it's positive, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's not negative. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I wanted a I wanted a and I wanted and if anything it's 
yeah the story <laughs> itself is great you know like and that that's part of the the beauty of the beers that you create um you kind of touched on there actually something else that i wanted to kind of talk to you about which is actually that you're producing your own work now uh yeah and you started out you would you would be brewing at batch and kind of bringing the work in and i wondered what what that's brought to your process um and and the beers themselves mm. i mean realistically it's brought consistency to my life like and that was really hard like genuinely that was probably the thing that broke it was like how many 4 a.m starts 3 30 starts um could i keep doing we were we my wife and i we got pregnant with our third kid and i was like this this has to stop like um you know i would i would just book into the hospital like every six months like it wasn't booked in but it was pretty pretty, pretty. i've just been completely worn down like uh, just not not, not, be, not having any sickness just my body just like mm, shut down um and so um yeah obviously the method that we started to start the brewery was really important because it kept cash in the company and not to get all businessy but i don't know who your market is but um you know chris and i bootstrapped our brewery we, we still have a very low to like we're very very low debt um which is nice right now because interest rates are going up um but uh we were able to make the decisions with aging our beer that we did because we didn't we weren't looking at equipment financing loans and we were mm -hmm. you know spending time on mates brewing equipment like i would go brew on different brewing equipments batch was the main one but i went on a few others and a being able to hire capacity you know i could go i could go to a larger brewery and go brew you know 25 heck one week or i could go to a smaller brewery and brew 12 heck in that week and it was great to be able to manage cash flow that way and not having the set cost the same so that was really important but what happened <clears throat> was yeah this this idea of like working around other people's schedules having more people on the team and then you know other brewery schedules impacting the lives of my employees as well was like particularly mine like i wore a lot of that but it would just be really hard to like move a bottling day um, all of a sudden or whatever. And so it was like, it was realized that we needed to have the, the, the production in, in house, you know, to, mm -hmm. to use beer terms. Um, but at the same time, uh, I wanted to do it my way, um, which is of course going to be the hardest one possible. Um, so I built the brewery, um, uh, out of, um, secondhand equipment, pots and pans, you know, around Australia, there's two new things. One is a, is a mash mixer from Browcon, which was pretty cool. Um, wow. So, so we have this, we have this Browcon Aloysius, which is the mash mixer. So that grain falls through and there's this like stainless steel piece of German, beautiful engineering. Um, because we, we, we mash our, we, we, we stir our mash by hand and we're mashing in 500 kilos um, a week. So it's a, it's a decent amount of mash. And so we needed something to, be able mm -hmm. to mix that really, really well. So that's a new thing. The other new, the only other new product, or the only new part of that of that setup was um, the copper kettle, which was made from scratch uh, in uh, really close to the the farm, the barley farm. So first time I went out to go see this, this distill, this he makes stills, the um, Mark Burns, the guy who made it. Um, you know, it was just a roll of copper, like on you know, just a big roll of thick copper and he literally shaped this entire thing so that was built in australia as well but other than that um built this very very simple set of um uh 
uh, of, of pipe work and plumbing and wooden barrels and straw mash tun filter in order to make wort um, at, at the brewery. And that we brewed our first beers on it just over a year ago now. Um, and it's brought a warmth to the beer that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's really hard to talk about these things without, you know, having preconceived notions of, of being there and you smell the wort, like the first wort that comes through, uh, like our first runnings, like have this incredible straw aroma. It's so strong. And every time I'm like, oh, I just want to like, just take those first runnings and and, and ferment that. Um, but of course, the too high in alcohol. Um, but uh, it's as if like uh, one of our, our longest time employee um, who's moved to Perth, um, but he still does two days a week for us, and he's in Sydney at the moment. And um, we blend together still. Like he's he's uh, he's an incredible wine palate. Um, uh, he um, uh, is tasting the beers every month from Perth, right? So he's so we send him the beers, and he writes all of our tasting notes. And I love it because he just gives us like really honest uh, feedback, and he also has an amazing palate, so that's helpful. Um, but as soon he I didn't even tell him which batches of beer. Like when we started getting batches of beer through the kettle, through the our kid, um, I didn't tell him which ones were were through it, and he did it immediately, immediately. Wow! And he for him, he said that they just they just feel like a like a warm blanket has been put around. Mm-hmm. There's just this softer and warmer. Um, you know, the word rustic is a bit like you know craft or craft beer or natural wine but they do there's something broader about them um and you know again i don't know how my beer is made like we prepare the conditions like we we prepare the wort in a way and get it cooled down to a certain temperature that our yeast likes so that's what we do um you know it will be interesting in five or ten years to to have someone in who kind of understands what's going on a little bit more and being like oh that's fascinating because you because your work runs through this way, you know, like I've had brewery engineers from like some of the big breweries. They've, it's like, it's like chat at the big, you know, like the Tui's, which, you know, are massive, massive mega breweries here in, in Australia. They've come down to, and they're like looking at it like, well, this is so cool. Like, oh, have you thought about the, and then like they come up to me and they're like, have you thought about the fact that like, because you're doing this differently, it's going to have this impact on your beer. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it does. I didn't think about that, but that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, how do you clean this part?" You know, like seeing dead ends. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, thank you. Like, cool. I'm gonna fix that." You know, um, it's 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 such a it's such a basic piece of equipment that yeah, it, yeah. It, it's impacting in all these really interesting ways. But you know, I I don't. I'm actually really keen um to make to make some like clean work on it. Mm-hmm. And then fer- ferment it elsewhere, like not as a beer for us, but as, like as a collaboration, like with with Mountain Culture. I said a DJ, like I want to do some like lagers through this kit, and then oh, send man, them to you. Oh man, amazing! It, yeah. it's so interesting, like just so really broad. interesting. And anyway, anyway, so yeah, a little bit different, for sure. I keep uh, honestly, I'm trying to get it out of my head, but I can't stop thinking of like this analogy of you know you studying astrophysics which is like studying the universe which is kind of like this unknowable start point and unknowable end point and then like yeah. transferring that into this beer and when you're saying like this hot beginning and like no idea where it's going to be and, and trying to figure stuff out <laughs> along the way but like <laughs> trying to make sense of it all yeah that's 
that's where my head was going anyway but uh, i don't know well, the, well makes, no it's interesting like the sort of the sort of science that i ended up doing is really quite close to philosophy like it yeah. you get to a point and and you you know you you have to ask the data questions but you these aren't questions that have been asked before so you kind of are you know you really have to be thinking quite broadly um and again i'm not a, i didn't do my phd so i probably wouldn't call myself an astrophysicist like i didn't i didn't do the work to get to that mm. like level um but um i think one of the i mean one of the reasons i think i was really intrigued by this style of brewing was that you know there is there is something about like german brewing um that's so precise and predictable and repeatable that's amazing but I just find that so boring. Like I like, I love the alchemy, you know, yeah. I love the fact that like, I'm with you, man, I guess I, I love the fact that like at some stage you just submit, like, we're just like, I don't know, like you do it, you know, like we're yeah. like co-collaborators with mother nature, if you will. Yeah. Like, I, again, I don't want to get like too heady about things because it's just fucking beer, but you know, like the day, the day before the festival this year, I was at Harvey's, and like, you know, I would say that they're doing kind of similar stuff to me. Yeah, <laughs> open top fermentation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're just they're just moving it a lot faster than I am. Like, good for them. Um, you know, like, like kettle one day and the pub four days later. It's amazing. Yeah, or five days or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, there's like you know, like Miles Jenner, 1986 since since 1986 brewmaster. Like, there's probably I mean, there's, I mean, there's nothing he doesn't know about the beer. But then again, I'm I'm sure you could bend him down and be like, "How is it actually done?" He'd be like, "I, you know, this. How, how can you how can you pin something down like like Harvey's best?" And I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of indicative. Like that's why you can go to so many different pubs, and of course, cellarmanship is one thing, but you get you get different batches of it, and I love that. There's so much character in that. You know, it's not anyway. Anyway, yeah, that, I, that's I'm, what I I'm, like. Yeah. I get lost on that stuff with you. I love the kind of letting go of precision. I mean, we don't do those kind of beers, but like I love, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for a story, you know, like all the feel of mm. an ingredient or like I can feel or see or smell the idea of the work going through the straw and all of that kind of stuff adds elements mm. to me. Even if someone probably, <laughs> they could probably just tell me this long story and really the beers just be like mass produced in some like, but I I love I guess it's like a romance to it I, uh, of a kind, you know, and, and the beers that you, you produce are, are absolutely kind of the epitome of that. Um, okay. Tofu, well, so when, we're, when, we're you, when like... you come to Australia, when you come to Australia and we brew Sonoma on my kit, then you can yes. smell that work coming straight oh through. Oh my days. <laughs> Sonoma through the straw. Sounds amazing. Um, okay. So yeah, we're kind of, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. so yeah kind of coming to the coming to the end and there's there's always a couple of questions that i um i ask and and one of sure. them is you know how do you see the brewing industry moving in the kind of next five years and i guess you can take that as like the broad brewing scene or you mm. can kind of like just really bring it down into the wildflower um journey you know what what does the next five years kind of look like to you yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know for the broader industry. Like, I, I know so little about that. I don't follow it. Um, I, I hear from friends who are at different scales about what they're going through, and I don't want that kind of stress in my life. So um, I don't know what's going on with that. Um, you know, I think we'll definitely 
we'll definitely see some contraction, I think, and, and just a little bit of consolidation. Brands that were able to pay down their their debts when they were able to make the margins that they were probably be in better stead, I would say. Just from personal experience, I would say that that's going to happen. But um, yeah, it's, that'll be interesting. I still think there's going to be space though. I mean, you know, for interesting new projects. So I like it's it, beer's been with us for a very long time. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, I, I I could be I could be ignorant in saying that. You know, seeing the vaping and marijuana use being like so much more prominent amongst <laughs> kids. I, I I don't know. I don't know. They all get bored of it though. Anyway, I could. I sound like an old. I sound like a boomer. Um. Anyway, um. But for the for wildflower, next five years. Um. I mean, I would say like the next thirty years are kind of the same. Um. For us, like, hey, step one, like, stay stay in business. You know. Um. There's a sustainability. There are so many things that you cannot do if you are not sustainable. And part of that is how you look after your team, how you look after yourself, and how you look after your business. Like. If we're if we're burning the wick at both ends on any of those three, um, it's not going to be a business anymore. Like something will, you know, whether or not you're 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 profitable actually makes no difference. Like if if everyone is absolutely dog tired, um, mm-hmm. then something breaks. Like an accident happens, it's it's bad. So like we're really focused on being. Um, sustainable from like an internal perspective like I said, we're doing a lot of work on that we have a small team um, you know like seven people full-time and, and casual so it's not huge but um you know we want to be able to support families and businesses and, and mm-hmm. you know fam- people and families into the future um, so that's a big big focus on the next um, you know uh, whatever 30 years for the next five Types of beers that we do, I, I would say the brewery will, um, we, we've made the same amount of beer for the past four years, I think. Um, and it feels about right for us. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I, don't, I don't have huge goals in terms of, you know, export markets or more volume or being on tap at different places. Um, you know, we have a highly curated experience at the cellar door and we focus on that a lot. Um, again, mm-hmm. this all goes back to hospitality for me. So we were always going to have a tap room um, and being able to really offer the full experience for people like being like a welcoming place is what we've been working on for so, so, so long. And with, um, you know, we, we've, we've added, we added food to the offering after the second lockdown in Australia. So September, 2021, um, and it's become a really important part of, so it's not it's not our food like we have friends who are chefs or the bakery that does it at the moment operate the kitchen and so it's really fun for our customer they get you know they have these residencies they're there for like four or five months or something like that and then and then they, they move on or someone else kind of keen to come in um and that's that's been really great because it's, it's really lovely to bring you know so off so so rarely do you have someone over to your house and you don't offer them something to eat you know like mm-hmm. um like Maybe if it's, you know, uh, just, I don't know, a wine tasting or something like that, you don't. But it's really nice to be able to offer something to eat along with the beers, just as a way of, like, you know, what we do at the cellar door kind of harkens back to the time of, like, the first kind of hospitality, which was room and board. You know, you, you go into these, like, rural pubs because you've been traveling all day on a horse or something like that. And 
you arrive at some place and you're just you're just there to be nourished like in some way or another um and so for us that experience is like what we kind of we kind of want to like you know um let the space and the and the offering kind of like engulf them um and that's been really important so also like we make cider uh for for cellar door we make oh, cool. uh, wine for cellar door um we just released our first whiskey which is like being poured this winter um at cellar door as well and so all these things that we make in-house with our same kind of ideals in terms of uh, raw materials and and fermentation um but we only sell them there as a way to like we don't want to muddle the brand elsewhere um and so it's really really nice when someone comes and they're celiac like well i'm not going to use the enzyme or whatever for, or if they're celiac they shouldn't be probably in the building um but anyway they they have gluten issues um uh you know there's still something that we can offer that's ideologically aligned with what we do that doesn't take away from them being able to experience what mm -hmm. we make and that's big that's really really important for me um and i mean for us as a, as a business for sure but i i think i think we'll just see more of that like i don't i don't i don't know i don't really want the venue to turn into some like pseudo restaurant um but uh it's a pretty cool place like the space is really beautiful and it's kind of known um it's picking up you know little little whispers here and there across sydney about like it's just this like kind of separate um place to come have a beer um so yeah that's going to be more of a part of it and in terms of the beers like I'm, i i say it to, to chris my brother-in-law like i'm actually super keen on getting to the stage where i could almost order all of the labels that i'll need for the entire year at the start of the year wow like, i have this i have this idea like i'm we're not there yet like not even close but i have this idea like how amazing would that be to like it's this probably sounds really boring to a craftier customer but for a for a business <laughs> perspective i would just love to be that kind of stoic about yeah. what we do and that be appropriate like there's been so much need for new fresh next you know and i think I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me, but it feels like it's kind of on the out a little bit, like the new release or new releases every week. Um, and people are happy to have that like comfortable beer in the fridge or, or at the pub, at the pub um, that they know they're going to get quality every time. And, and I, I, I want the industry to move that way. I want the customer to move that way to be like, no, no I know what I like and I'll just have a case of that you know, mm -hmm. the standard kind of thing. So it's never going to happen. I'm never going to order my labels once a year. Um, but more and more, you know, I think we are kind of like, kind of figuring out what we do really well, because again, we don't know how we make our beer. We're kind of figuring out what's working and then being like, you know what, let's not get too distracted by all of this other stuff because we only have this many brew days a year. We only make this many, you know, that however much beer a year, this many days can we actually bottle, you know, with everyone taking holidays and whatever um let's maximize what we do best in that limited time that we have with everyone so i don't think we're going to like reduce our product offering or anything like that but um yeah i, I don't know i <laughs> it's really bad to say like i have this huge desire to do the exact same thing as what we're doing now that is i think that's a really beautiful thing to say and a very rare thing to ever hear really but like i guess it's the beauty of one having purpose in what you do and relationship in what you do is that you want to kind of sustain that 
for this foreseeable mm. and there might be a sprinkling of other things in there as well but actually at the core of it this and, and if you go into like that, that european beer culture that's exactly you know whether it's germany and precision or belgian and kind of like letting letting the elements take mm. you know do whatever but there's an element of just sustaining and and carrying yeah. on and also like mm. a beer you know like Dre Fontaine is telling the story of maybe five six years ago you know not just mm. at the moment you drink it which is incredible um yeah Tofa thanks so much for doing this man uh I really oh, I've got so many things asking. that I, oh no it's a it's an honor and a pleasure and I hope I think we're gonna have to do another one because we've uh, there's a lot of bullet points I didn't get to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. we've had a few a few technical bits here and there as I'm getting back into the swing of things but um yeah one last question yeah uh it's a pre-apocalypse beer question so you're in a bar yeah uh, there's just this flickering tv in the corner the bar can create any beer that you would like or has any yeah. beer that's ever been made there's a flash on the television in the corner it just says an asteroid's about to hit earth in an hour the barman walks up he slaps the bar in front of you and goes what are you drinking so what would that uh beer be uh, for you there's so many that fit in that category um again i'm not dogmatic um oh god right now because it's winter here and believe it or not it does get a bit chilly in australia um i'd probably go for a harvey's best <laughs> no spot but through, but through an engine i mean of course i mean that beer is made for but through an engine like not not off the pin like i don't think they're as good off the pin as they yeah. are through, they get pumped they need a little bit of um yeah, I love that beer. I like I yeah, and, and passionately love it. And and we've been chatting, so I'm just hearing your accent. Um, it's like it's that, it's DuPont, it's Orval. They're classics, they're standards, yeah. they're things that have had stood the test of time. Those are always my favorite. Miller High Life. <laughs> I love murder it. of Miller High Life right now, yeah. Um dude, thanks so much for doing this, Tofa. Um, it's been a pleasure and I hope yeah, I hope we get to share a beer again soon. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. It's good to be back. <laughs> it's really good to be back. Tofa was an amazing guest. Um, yeah, excuse the technical faults. It was, uh, you know, a little bit of rustiness getting back into this thing. Um, and we actually only recorded it as one track rather than two separate tracks. So couldn't separate the audio. So it's a, a little bit of audio quality lost there. But I think the substance is the most important thing. Okay, so we'll be back hopefully in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Thanks so much for listening. You have been listening to Track Brinko Presents the first time. And as ever, stay.